truly love running and it brings me so much joy. And sometimes I can get obsessive. I can stress about the watch and what pace I'm running and, you know, all of those little things. And if I find myself now, if, if I find myself getting to that point, I literally take the Garmin off. I might even take the regular watch off and just go and remember why I love it and reconnect to why I'm doing this. Emily Abadi popping in to your feed with a really special episode. This is from over the weekend when I was in Atlanta at the Olympic Marathon Trials. Now, first of all, running is hard, period. Anyone that braves any race goes out of their comfort zone. What an awesome accomplishment. But to make the Olympic Marathon Trials, you have to run insanely fast. For men, that means a marathon in under two hours and 19 minutes or a half marathon of 104. And for women, two hours 45 or a half marathon of 113. Basically, these are superhumans and I had the opportunity to sit down with three of them at the Brooks Hyperion House down in Atlanta. Today, I'm bringing you my conversation with Kelly Calloway, Allison Maxis, and Dylan Bellas, three all-stars, all with really special stories who really showed up over the weekend and gave it their all. What I love about this is the phrase hometown heroes. These are everyday people. You're walking by them on the street that really excel at the sport of running and may not have always crushed it to this level. I get so many questions from you guys. How do I start? How do I stay running? What are your tips, your tricks? Well, this episode is loaded with gems to get you out on the road and keep you safe and healthy. From Kelly, who's a mom, fitting her training into her regular routine, to Allison, who's made her passion for miles into her profession with her company, Rogue Expeditions, and Dylan, who talks really candidly about a personal hurdle that he was able to overcome by incorporating the sport into his life. Whether you're a runner or not, this episode is loaded with the motivation that will inspire you to be a better version of yourself. As usual, at Hurdle Podcast, at Emily Abadi on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a hurdle moment of your own to share or just want to say hi, you can always reach me over email. It's Emily at hurdle.us. And lastly, a huge thank you again to the team at Brooks for having me down this weekend. It was so fun to be a part of the energy in Atlanta and also meet so many hurdlers that came out to hang out. So thank you all for making me feel special and for coming along on this ride with me. Hometown heroes, Kelly, Allison, and Dylan, let's get to hurdling. Hey everyone, my name is Emily Abadi. I'm a freelance journalist and creator and host of a podcast called Hurdle. On Hurdle, I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about some of their highest highs and toughest moments. And I think here today in the Brooks Hyperion House, sitting with these three athletes, tomorrow is surely going to be a little bit of both. Let's go down the, the line and introduce who we have sitting in front of you today. So. Uh, Dylan, why don't you kick us off? Tell me who you are, where you're from, and uh, what number Olympic trials, if it's more than your first. Awesome. Yeah, my name is Dylan Bellis. I am originally from Ithaca, New York, but I grew up mostly in Denver, North Carolina. It's right outside of Charlotte. Uh, and currently, I live in Flagstaff, Arizona. This is my very first trials, so biggest race that I've ever done. So very excited for that. Woohoo! 
My name is Allison Maxis. Um, I grew up in Denton, Texas. Currently live in Austin, Texas, though I am relocating to Bend, Oregon next month. Um, it's kind of changing locations there. Um, this is my third Olympic trials. So I was there in Houston in 2012, LA in 2016, and now here in Atlanta for 2020. You're, you're a Des three-peat, maybe. <laughs> um, my name is Kelly Callaway. I'm an Army brat, so I've lived all over the place. But I was born in Colorado. I'm currently coming from McLean, Virginia, D.C., and this is my third Olympic trials. All right. Well, thank you to all three of you for joining us here today. For Kelly, we were chatting before the panel, and you told me that the marathon is your favorite event because regardless of your talent, you have to do the work to do well. What do you mean by that? I mean that all marathoners from, you know, number one, you know, Desi over there in the corner to all the way back to the back of the pack, everybody has to put in the miles. So you're a gritty person. Everybody is down to earth and really, you know, there's no marathon diva out there because everybody has to go out there and put, you know, one foot in front of the other and grind away to be able to get on the start line and have a successful race. Dylan, what is it that you love about the marathon distance? <laughs> I really like the amount of work that it takes to put into it. Uh, I think that it's it's not just the physical capacity that you know allows you to be good at the marathon, but you have to be mentally strong as well. And so I really appreciate I really appreciate the process of and the structure of it really to be able to to put it all together every single day and the way that kind of brings you up and makes you feel. And for me, the marathon fits that bill. Allison, did you grow up a runner? Were you a runner from a young age, or is this something that you kind of got into as you got older? Um, I got into it at a young age. Um, I can remember in first grade in PE class, I know that I won the running award that year. We used to run laps around the field and you get a popsicle stick for every lap and I would win that as a little kid. Um, I did not get into formal racing and running until high school. I actually played basketball most of my childhood and then sophomore year of high school kind of got convinced to come try cross country and quickly found out I was much better at that than I was at basketball um, and kind of went from there. So, But even in other sports growing up, um, basketball or whatever, um, running was always definitely my strong suit. Dylan, what about you? When did you get into running? So I didn't get, running, get into running until a bit later. I really didn't commit to the sport until I was around 17 years old. I played a lot of different sports growing up. Um, yeah, I mean, I got into running more so as a way of helping myself overcome a lot of mental and personal issues that I had at the time. I think a lot of people can probably relate to that, right? I'm sure if I ask the audience right now who runs to get through some hard stuff, you'd all raise your hands, right? Yeah, yeah, I see some hands up. Yeah, so for me, I mean, I, uh, myself, when I started running, it was because I was looking for a way to continue losing weight. I had lost about 30 pounds, and I was looking to continue that weight loss with the hopes to lose another 30 to 40 more. And so I started putting one foot in front of the other. And when I started doing that, a half mile became a mile and a full mile became a 5K. And as I'm sure all the head nodding up here at the panel, you guys can all relate. So um, I'd love to know, Kelly, do you remember when those first half miles and miles became more and more miles? I remember thinking, so I started running when I was eight years old, kind of a similar story. And um, I remember thinking, I've done a mile when I can't remember where I started. 
Um, so I was like, I, um, I, I really put one foot in front of the other and just, um, you know, very similarly, I was hungry to run more and longer, even as a little kid, I like begged my mom to go out and run five K's and 10 K's. We have this great picture of her and I running my first 10 K. I barfed about a quarter mile from the finish. And my mom was like, do you want to stop? I was like, no way I'm going to keep going because that's just, it was, I had to finish it. Someone here mentioned that they threw up in one of their qualifying races. Was this you? No. Oh, no. Maybe a broken bone? I had a broken bone in 2016. Yeah. How did, yeah, you want to talk to me about how that happened? Well, that was really tough. So 2016, I had come back from uh, deployment and had my second child, and I was ready to train and be there for 2016 Olympic trials. It was, you know, I qualified really early in 2013, and um, I overdid it. You know, I was, I had a new job. I had a new baby. I was just really stressed out and I was getting in all the miles and the hard work that I had done very similar to when training was my only job. Um, so I, I realized something was wrong and I went and saw a doctor did a lot of rehab. They told me it was soft tissue. So I was like, well, I can deal with soft tissue. I can overpower that. So I kept, you know, I spent all of 2016 Olympic trials in the trainers, like doing different manipulations and hoping that it would get better. And then I got out on the course and I was running like an injured animal. My coach pulled me off at 5K and it was just devastating. I mean, it was devastated. I collapsed on the ground and cried and felt sorry for myself. And um, it was really, really hard. So I'm happy to be back here. And I mean, the bottom line was it was cool to be a hometown hero because I went home, went back to my job. Nobody really cared. Um, and then my kids were just like, Mom, you know, you're home. They didn't care that I didn't do what I my goal, didn't achieve my goal. So and then I really was like, I want to get back there for 2020 to redeem myself. I feel like a lot of us, uh, we can identify some of these really tough moments that we've had on the run or on the course. Uh, Dylan, for you, what would you say has been one of the toughest hurdles that you've had to overcome on your journey to the trials as a runner? Wow. Yeah. I mean, so this starts back to when I began running. Um, so I, growing up, I, I always struggled with depression and anxiety as like a very young kid. And it's not something that like, it's something that you have to continuously like work on and develop. Um, and as a young runner, I unfortunately developed from this same depression and anxiety, um, anorexia. I lost a bunch of weight and I got really obsessive with it. And so, and running was a way for me to help overcome this and to help really allow myself to dig a little bit deeper, um, see myself who I was. And I, unlike a lot of other runners who maybe use runner running to fuel their anorexia, um, I actually got into running as a way of allowing myself to um, look more introspectively and you know ask myself for greater things. So for myself, my running is very much consistent with how I feel mentally. And so the better work I can do from a self-development side of things, the better I am as a runner um, and as an athlete. So uh, when we talk about overcoming different odds or adversity, you know, one of the things is always making sure that I'm doing the personal work, working on, you know, not only my body, but focusing on the tools that allow my mind to be sharp because that's ultimately what keeps me happy um, and keeps me moving forward and progressing and getting better, uh, not only as a runner, but um, as a human. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I think uh, it's interesting, you know, it's really special 
the longer that I keep up with Hurdle because uh, I feel so fortunate that people reach out to me to share stories like that. I talked to one young woman in Australia who is dealing uh, with being now in a treatment program for anorexia, and she says to me that her goal is to get through this, and a year from now, when she's feeling like a stronger, better version of herself, she wants to train and run a half marathon, and that just tugs at my heartstrings so much because I see so much potential for her, and I feel so special that she wants to share her story with me. So whether it's for her or maybe it's another beginner runner, um, I'd love to ask you guys, starting with Allison, what is one piece of advice that you offer to people that want to be a runner but might not categorize themselves that way just yet? Um, I think it sounds cliche, but it's just start. Um, all you have to do is go out and take that first step. Um, I've done a lot of coaching over the years, um, including people who are brand new to it. And a lot of it, I think people can do a lot more than they think they can. Um, you can't expect, you know, to be, to, you know, run a 5K day one or anything like that. But if you can get out and just start taking those first steps, it's amazing the progress you can make over and over um, if you stay consistent. Um, and it's just kind of overriding that voice in your head that tells you you're not a runner or that you can't do it um, because you can, anybody can. Um, I've seen that over and over again. And so I think it's just making yourself go out, do it, um, and believe that you should be out there because there's no one who shouldn't or cannot be a runner. Kelly, what's your advice for beginner runners? So I coach a lot of youth athletes. Um, since I started when I was eight, I feel really passionate about sharing, you know, the sport with the younger generation. And, you know, I see a lot of the same things um, where people struggle in the beginning. I think my words of advice that are different from yours would be, you know, get outside because a lot of people think running needs to be done on a treadmill in a gym or on a track. And I personally enjoy going on trails and going around neighborhoods and just learning the area that I'm in. So that's one of my favorite things to do with running is kind of explore and then get a buddy, you know, get out there with somebody else that can, you know, you can be accountable to, you know, they can be accountable to you too and, um, and get out there. And then the third thing I would say is, sign up for a race. It's so nice to have a goal. And then it's, you will never be the last person out there. There's a lot of people who fear like, well, if I sign up for a race, everybody's going to be out there. I'll be the last one there. I've never seen, I'm, there's a race. Usually the last couple people always finish together anyway, but <laughs> most of the time, the people that are out there running are not the last people. There's somebody walking or somebody behind them. And, and it's really okay to be the last one too, if it's your first 5k. So I have a confession. Yeah. When I was 13, in my hometown, there's something called the Great Pumpkin Classic. I was the last one <laughs> with my dad. My dad and I, this photo, I swear, will like, it's, it will not, it's not necessarily a haunting photo, but I think it will follow me for the rest of my life. And he, uh, he gave it to me framed this year for Christmas. Uh, I, I BQ'd last year. And so oh it's, a, it's a very different time, you know, from 13 to 31. But oh it's funny. We say, you'll never be the last one. I was like, I remember that time. But your dad was with you. Dad so was with me. Yeah. I know. Last and second to last. I don't know technically who got that honorable <laughs> last spot. Dylan, what would you say is a piece of advice that you would give to beginner runners? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we've already said a couple of really good things. I think accountability is huge. Finding someone to run with. Um, keeping you accountable, whether that's a coach, whether it's some online program, or you know, just having your friends and family support you, I think that's really, really big. Uh, I also, you know, I also believe that you have to kind of start slower. So I think we, a lot of times when we get into something new, we just want to dive in and then we just fully commit to it. 
Um, but that over, you know, that overcommittal sort of perception or idea is something that can get you into trouble. Um, you know, once you start running into an injury or you get tired or you're sore, it's much easier to give up. And I think we, anybody can see that with anything that we do. Anytime we do something new, it's something that is, it's very difficult to make a habit out of it. So start slower, um, do a little bit less than you think you can do, and then just try to stay consistent with that. Um, that would be my big thing. And then, you know, lastly, I think with, it's a, a lot of it's a perceptual thing. So a lot of people think like, I'm not a runner because of this, or I didn't grow up running, or running doesn't come naturally to me. Um, but I think it's it's less about what other people think, but or in more so how you think and how it makes you feel. So if it makes you feel good and you like to do it, um, I definitely recommend that you you create the time for it. And don't worry about what other people are thinking because or yeah, because nobody is nobody's out there judging you for trying to better yourself. And I think that that's that's something that we have to keep in mind when we're trying to do something new and do something better for ourselves is that, you got to do it for yourself and not for the approval the accept or the acceptance of other people. And if they are judging you, then they're not your people. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think it's in interesting, uh, touching on Kelly, what she was saying earlier about the, the injury. Oftentimes, if you're injured and you call yourself a runner and then you can't run, you feel like this lost sense of identity, right? You're like, this is who I am. What am I supposed to do? I feel anxious. I feel not myself. Obviously, uh, injury, a huge hurdle in running. When you guys think about the tough runs, the runs that feel impossible, the runs that make you think, oh, I just like cannot show up and do this again tomorrow. Where do you go to either mentally or do you have any personal tricks that you use to get you through that really hard stuff? Allison, kick me off. Sure. Um, in a race setting, I actually have a kind of a unique technique I use. Um, in a marathon, I'm pretty much always going to go through some period of time like that. Um, and I actually always make sure when I go into a race that there are some kind of plans that evening, a happy hour, dinner, whatever, some kind of meeting up with people. And when I kind of get in that desperate, I can't go on point in a marathon, I honestly sit there and I think about that moment, meeting up with those people and how it's going to feel to say I didn't finish versus how it's going to feel to say I did it, I got it done, and I per per persevered. Um, and that may sound silly, but in that scenario, it's always enough to kind of remind me that that finish line is always worth it. Um, and that there's hills and valleys in every race and every tough run. If you just keep moving forward, it's going to get better. It always does. Um, and at this point, I've been running for, uh, I don't even know, over 20 years. Um, and so a lot of that helps is that I can kind of look back and say, okay, in 20 years, it has never been so bad that I could not continue. Um, and just kind of trusting that, that it's going to get better. And what a metaphor for life, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of you could probably agree that a lot of the things that we experience on the run, they teach us how to show up in other aspects of our lives, for sure. So, uh, Dylan, what would you say, what do you lean into when it comes to that tough stuff to, to keep you going through the hard runs? Yeah, so I think the work starts before you run. I think that you have to be able to put yourself in a good mental headspace before you even tackle that run. If you go into it thinking that you're not going to be able to do it or it's going to get hard, I'm going to run away, I'm going to get scared, then that's, what, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, so I do a lot of personal work when it comes to meditation. I've seen therapists. I've seen a lot of people who I, I talk to on a daily basis to try to get my mind in that optimal place to where when I reach a point of high stress and high demand, I, I don't have to think about it. I already have that reaction. So I personally, I do a lot of you know this sort of insightful meditation practice where 
I, I get my mind in these uncomfortable places and allow myself to be better at concentration, be better at focus so that when you're running, you can you get into that same form of that headspace, those wavelengths, and you're better able to, instead of getting really stressed about it and blowing up and having a really bad day, you can slow it down a little bit in your mind mentally and really direct your focus in the right place. Kelly, how do you get through the hard stuff? So I similarly try to get ahead of it. One thing that I do is I print off the race course and I look for places that will be challenging like hills or obviously anytime past mile 20, um, you know, things like the places where it'll get challenging. And I physically write on there a mantra to tell myself. So I get ahead of those tough hills, those really tough places where I know I'm going to grind and I could go to a negative place and be like, this hill sucks. I want to stop. Um, instead of doing that, I automatically go to the mantra. And so I use that and I visualize my race. And as I'm going through the race, I say those positive things to myself. And it could be anything from like, you go girl to like expletives. It doesn't matter what it is, you know, whatever keeps you going at that time. And, um, and that's really helped me along the way throughout a lot of tough races. Um, I, I flash back to Boston in 2018 with the terrible you know, conditions. I was there with you, girl. Yeah, yeah. it's like you were, we survived, right? <laughs> um, but I, I really relied on those positive things and a lot more than I thought I was gonna have to because the conditions were so bad. Um, but we could have stopped, you know, just like a lot of people did and we didn't quit. And that's because we did that mental work up front and stayed positive throughout that. You mentioned mantras and mental work uh, for any of the three of you. Do you have any specific mantras that you go back to uh, continuously or does it kind of depend on the race? And are these things that you work through in your training or again, do they just come to you on race day? Um, I would say one, which is in line with kind of the trick that I described before is finish line is always worth it. That's always in my head. And then honestly, just forward motion. That's it. Um, I've done a little bit of ultra running, kind of dabbled in that. And that comes in very handy in those situations when you really just have to keep moving forward um, at all costs. But that works really well in a bad spot um, in a training run or a race or anything like that. Because like I said, it always comes around and gets better. So forward motion is probably less of a mantra, but more of an action. Uh, so I believe Elliot Kachoge came out and he's, you know, he talks about how it's important to smile when you're running. And then there was all sorts of research and articles that came out about like smiling and running. And it sounds like the silliest thing. Um, but recently when I've been hurting and these big workouts leading up to today, uh, I find myself forcing myself to smile and, you know, looking silly. Uh, but honestly, it has night and day changed the run. So that's one of the things that I've I've tried to focus on when it comes to racing now. It's like, even if you're hurting, even when it's really hard, especially when it's really hard, try to smile. Uh, you might get an extra few percentages out of I, yourself. I wrote, uh, I wrote on something for Runner's World not all that long ago, and in the article, I found some research that says when you cheer on other people, it actually gives you a boost as well in your performance. It can, it can make you uh, perform a little bit better. So uh, just on that smile notion and, and keeping things positive, it definitely can help pay off there on the course. You mentioned you go girl, but do you have any other mantras that you lean into on the road? My dad always said hard work pays off. So I, I go to that. And then I always think of my kids. I've got two daughters and a uh, little dog. And so they, uh, you know, I never want to disappoint them, but I always, you know, want to make them proud and they'll be out there on the course um, tomorrow. So I, I always think of them and go back to, you know, just making those girls proud. 
I'd love to, uh, for a second, reflect on uh, the race that got all of you to this very specific Olympic trials. I know we have a, a couple of veterans up here in front of us, but talk to me about what it was your experience on the race day that got you here and why you reflect on that, hopefully, in such a positive light. And anyone, feel free to go first. Um, I'll start. So I first qualified in the Austin Marathon in 2018, so that was two years ago. Um, and that day was really special for me. So I had been a pacer at the Austin Marathon for years, swore I would never race it because it's hilly and hot. Um, and in 2017, I got talked into racing it for the first time. Um, it was a pretty terrible experience. It was extremely hot, extremely humid. Um, I did win it, but it was the slowest, most painful race of my life. Casual. Um, of course, yes. Then I, then I got talked into coming back in 2018. Um, I said yes. You know, after a while, kind of the pain fades and you agree to anything. So I went back in 2018. I was not planning to qualify for the Olympic trials there. Um, again, this is my third round, so I was pretty sure I would qualify at some point. I was aiming for CIM later that year. Um, but I wanted to run Austin. It was my hometown race. Um, I really, really liked the people that put it on, and it just kind of made sense. So I jumped into that race, and I was actually only a few days back from guiding some trips in Patagonia. I had flown in, I think, three days beforehand. Um, jumped into this race. Um, the weather was better than usual, but not great. And it was just kind of one of those magic days, I think, it being a hometown race, um, seeing so many friends and family on the course, and the energy was just really, really good. And somehow, mile 20 came around, and I still felt great. Um, so I was able to keep pushing and pushing, and yeah, ended up running 243 on that course, which was six minutes faster than the year before. Um, and yeah, got that qualifier, which I was absolutely not expecting. So to be surprised with it and to be able to do it in my hometown course um, just really, really meant a lot. Dylan, what about you? Yeah, so from 2016 to 2018, I spent the better part of those years injured. So I just had a lot of issues with consistency and being able to put together training. I switched coaches at one point, mostly just due because I moved from, from one place to another. And I made a promise to myself that once I moved, that I was going to do everything possible to get my body back in the correct rhythm again. So I mean, I needed to do strength training every week. So I committed to two days every week. I saw a PT two days every week. I saw a chiropractor one day every week. I just, like, I had no money, but I was going to uh, say this is an impressive roster. <laughs> I had I had very little funding, but I I knew that this was the goal that I wanted to achieve, and I needed to correct some imbalances. So during that year, um, I was able to finally put together about eight weeks of positive training uh, leading up to the California International Marathon in 2018. So going into that race, I really just wanted to turn my mind off and hop in the pack of people and just get in qualifier. I didn't care what I ran. I just wanted to run 219 or faster. And so over the course of that race, it was probably one of the easiest races I've ever done in my life because there was... 50 guys that I was just in this pack with and I ended up feeling really good and it I really did not start to feel like I was racing a marathon until about 23 miles into the race which was incredible and during that time I was calculating what I needed to run that last 5k because at this point my mind was starting to say hey you don't need to really go that fast you know you can <laughs> slow down just a little bit uh, and still get away with it and fortunately I was uh, I had I had a, I had over a minute to spare and so I didn't mean to, but I took those miles a little bit easier coming in. And then as you, at California National, you round the corner, and there's like 200 meters left, and you can see the finish line. And so at this point, I had knew, I had qualified. 
uh, I didn't care what place I was in because I was like 40th or 50th. There was really not too much incentive there. Um, but once I turned that corner, and like I'm, I'm getting chills like saying it right now, but once I turned the corner, I saw the finish line, uh, and I was just in tears. Uh, I like I couldn't, I couldn't control myself. I was just I, I, I ran really, really slowly going into that finish line. I just soaked in as much as I could. Um, I've got you know if you look at the photos from that race, I'm just like full out like crying. Um, and I finished the race. I went like straight to my bag. Uh, I, I grabbed my phone. I called my mom. I was like, I did it. I did it. And I was just like, man, I don't know. It was, it's, it's overwhelming to me still feeling it. And I've run faster since then, but that's, that's the day that like, I really was able to see somewhat of a potential and a lot of years of hard work pay off. Um, and I was, I was really proud to, to, to do it. I have chills hearing about it. Yeah. I also think it's so funny because you say, quote, I was running really slowly. <laughs> what is slow when you're running? <laughs> I was 19, jogging. Yeah. I was definitely jogging. A little jog. It was. It A little six-minute jog, maybe. <laughs> I, didn't care if it, I didn't care if it was 2, two 18, 59. <laughs> At that point, I had a minute to spare. I could walk it in if I wanted to. I was fine. I love it. Okay, and Kelly, what about you? What about your your qualifying? Yeah, so I go back to really friendship um, and just a cool thing about this sport. Um, I mentioned the 2018 uh, Boston Marathon. That was going to be where I qualified. Turns out that didn't happen. But what I what did happen was I got on the bus and a girl was sitting there with an open seat next to her, and I re recognized her from high school, Kira D'Amato, and um, she was Kira Carlstrom back then, but we were like high school rivals, and I sat down next to her, and I was like, oh my god, we had this moment of like, you know, 20 years ago, we were in high school competing against each other, and then in college, we competed against each other, and then we just didn't hear from each other for about a decade, so we went out there, and we both, you know, made it through that Boston Marathon. At one point, she passed me. At another point, I went like two miles before the finish I passed her I was like not even conscious at that point she was wearing a um pink you know jacket and I just remember like yeah like just kind of cheering for her <laughs> and we got to the end and we were both like happy that we made it but disappointed in everything else and I um so we we parted ways we were really proud of each other and we made it through that and about you know two weeks after that I talked to my coach and she was like what about grandmas? And I hadn't thought about running in two full weeks. I was so messed up from that race. I had hypothermia afterwards. My feet were cut up. I was just like, and normally I'm like, hell yeah. Um, but I was like, I need a minute. And I had to go back and talk to my husband and make sure my family was cool with like a whole nother marathon really quick. Meanwhile, we were moving to DC and everything else. So I, I did agree to do it. And then I also called up Kira and I was like, can you do Can you do grandma's with me? And she was like, I need a minute. She did the same thing and we both decided to do it. So we went up there, my flight was delayed. She got me dinner, she picked up my bib. I ended up, I was supposed to be in a hotel across town and she was right there. She's like, just sleep in my room. I slept in her room, her kids were there in a little playpen and I was like, hey, I'm Aunt Kelly. And we took, <laughs> I had the elite boss, but she didn't at that time. So, cause we signed up late. And um, so we decided to take the train together, which was an experience. Um, so we took the train and it got a little 
stinky on the train. It was a fun experience, but it was kind of stinky. There was only one bathroom and it took over the whole train. So we, we uh, you know, rode the train and we got to the start line and we knew we were just going to run a conservative race and run together. And um, so we started out and it, everything was glorious. Um, we got to mile 13, running right together and boom, she took off. And I was like, I'm going to stick with the plan. I'm going to stick with just running a conservative race. And I was like, you go girl, you know, like have fun. And, um, so I ended up, you know, sticking to the plan and about mile 18, I passed her and she was not looking good. And I was like, Kira, you have to make it like, come on girl. So she, she picked it up and I went by. And so I finished with like 242. It was a, you know, a, Good race, solid race, exactly what I needed to happen, and everything went perfectly. Meanwhile, the whole time I was kind of waiting for something to happen. I was running a little bit scared after after making it through Boston, but it went beautifully. I qualified. But this is my third time. So I was like, yay, go me. But where is Kira? And I stayed at the line and waited for her. And she barely made it. She was like had 30 seconds or something. And she came across the line and we were crying and celebrating. And her parents were there and her kids were there. And I was just so proud that we could be together in that moment and really, you know, what the sport means to have like this community of runners and people pulling for each other. It's, you know, we were rivals in high school and I'd look at her and be like, let me, you know, I want to beat you all the way, you know, flash forward 20 years. And I'm just like, where, you know, I really wanted her to come across that line. I didn't care who out of us, you know, had the faster time. I wanted both of us to be here. So it's really cool. And I just did my, uh, shakeout run with her today. And, um, uh, it's just a neat journey to be on with a, with a great friend. It's awesome. I mean, all three of you have, have different stories, but it's clear that you all have a lot of feelings about how running all the feels about how running makes you feel. Mm -hmm. It just makes you feel some kind of way. So when you think about how you feel after a good run, what is that? What? How would you describe that post-run bliss of sorts? Um, I would just say that feeling makes you feel like you can pretty much accomplish anything. Um, I don't think there much is, there's not much that seems that challenging and that difficult um, in comparison to some workouts we've been through. Um, so I think the feeling after, and especially hard effort, um, really gives you an amplified sense of that feeling that you could take on the world and do anything. But um, just having that run on a daily basis, I mean, I think you just get that that kick every day and pretty much everything else is totally manageable mm -hmm. once you've got the run done. I'd say I feel clear. I, I think it's like a, it's a structural component to my life. So when I run, everything else goes better. So if I have a good run, I feel good in the morning, um, I'm able to pursue the next, the next tasks in my day. Um, relatively easy and it's really easy to go from from running and set that up it's like you know winning the first thing of the day so you wake up you go for a run it's successful and that kind of leads on to the next thing that you do um, and for me it's you know going to work to going to work and being social and talking to people and helping people um, so running is a way for me to kind of cycle through those thoughts and allow myself to be more clear when I approach those things that I have coming up in the day I certainly feel recharged after I run. I use it as a time to process um, my life and stuff. And it's funny how people in my life can see, you know, even, you know, my husband, obviously we've been together a long time. My kids know like, hey, mom, maybe you should go for a run right now because you're getting kind of crazy and antsy. And then even like my soldiers on a deployment have been like, okay, so uh, ma'am, why don't you go for your run? Um, we've got this because I start to get really, you know, I, I start to kind of get, like this, and I need to go for that run to process things and come back and be 
you know, somebody who's pleasant to work with. Um, so it's, uh, for me, it really recharges me. It lets me, you know, go through and analyze everything that's going on in my day and come back with better ideas, fresher, and, you know, just able to accomplish so much more. Kelly, you mentioned before uh, pulling the trigger on grandmas that you uh, consulted with your family because obviously uh, the things that running involves, they can involve great sacrifice for the people around you. A lot of listeners, they reach out to me and they say, I feel like I can't run because I just can't make it happen. You need to make a lot of sacrifices to make running happen. So I'm curious to know, I mean, obviously, aside from the sacrifice of time with your family, what would you guys say has been uh, maybe one of the biggest sacrifices or shifts that you've had to make in your schedules to to make a journey like this possible for yourself? Because a lot goes in to showing up on the starting line here in Atlanta. I kind of don't think of it as sacrifices as much because I love it and I gain so much from running. But when I really analyze it like that, you know, I mean, there are weeks where we're not going to the museum or I'm not going to you know, be able to volunteer at my daughter's swim meet um, because I've got to go and get that 22 mile run in. Um, but on the flip side, when I'm out there doing that 22 mile run, my kiddos stand out there with a water table so I can practice and the neighborhood kids like jump in. Um, so, you know, I think I gain a sense of community from that. Um, I mean, I'm sure I could probably party a lot more, have a lot more fun, but I don't think that's who I am deep down inside. So it feels less like a sacrifice. Though I will say, you know, I do consult the family because it's, you know, I mean, it's a team effort. My husband goes out and puts water bottles out there for me and then takes care of the, you know, my kids while I'm doing all of the, all of those things. And, and they really make it happen. So um, it's a huge team effort. I have my parents throw in to, you know, babysit and come and watch kids. My in-laws have even done it before. I The first time I ran sim, my father-in-law came to watch my kids. And uh, I he knew nothing about marathoning. I left spry and ready to go. And I came back and couldn't walk up and down the stairs. And he was like, why? I don't get it. So it's just, uh, it's a real team effort. Um, I would agree with what Kelly said. Um, I don't really think of it as sacrifices necessarily. Because again, the payoff and the benefit, what, we, I think most of us get out of running is so great. Um, for sure, there's things, I mean, they get a lot less sleep than I could otherwise. Um, <laughs> there are social events, things like that over the years um, that I guess in a way you do sacrifice in order to reach that level of training. Um, but again, I think if I were to look at the converse situation, not running, I think everything else would not work out as well or go as well. Um, I think running is a catalyst for basically being able to take charge of everything else in my life, at least. Um, it's a very necessary component of my life. So I would say some sleep here and there. I don't have kids, so I've got a lot less um, to juggle, for sure. Um, but I have had those years where I was putting in 100-mile weeks, working full-time, coaching, and a lot of that was just grinding through it. Um, as I've gotten older, I've learned a lot more about balance, mm -hmm. about getting enough sleep, taking care of myself, because I've realized I want to be able to do this for a long time. Um, I don't necessarily need to do as much as possible at all times. I want to be able to do enough for as long as I can. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I am. Yeah, I think it just comes down to a matter of priorities and where those lie. So where, where can you give your energy and how much time of that energy can you give? And that's different for everybody. So some people only have a certain amount of time to, to give to running or to give to their job or whatnot. So it's important that you find you know where that balance is. Again, it's not going to be equal, but it's important. Um, and kind of like saying you know like like the lady said here, it's I think it's it's not a sacrifice. You know, running is definitely something that has elevated a lot of other things. I sleep better. You know, I'm definitely going to sleep earlier. I take care of myself more. I'm more cognizant of that. 
um, I, I tend to eat better. I because running is you know is very uh, it's like a very singular activity in some senses. It's important important to make time for those social times or family time and to create uh, specific designations for when and where those priorities lie and when and how much energy you need to give to them. So I think it's just a good way of being able to running allows you to break it down. Um, in a way that you can actually see those and make it happen. In this era of the highlight reel, I mean, obviously I just asked you all about like that best race, but I think so often in this highlight reel era where people are often comparing ourselves to one another on Instagram and social media, so much of what we see out there is the good stuff. I'm curious to know what has a quote unquote failure been in your running journey or a particularly difficult time that you truly learned from and then became a better runner because of this instance? Um, so right after I graduated college, I moved, I went to school in Florida, moved to Austin, um, and I really wasn't planning to pursue any kind of professional or elite running or anything like that. Um, although I did run in college, I wanted to race locally. Um, so I moved there, found a coach and was kind of training with a little group, 5k, 10k type stuff. And pretty quick, within a month or two of moving there, um, I actually ended up with a pelvic fracture. Um, and so that injury put me out for a year. So I was about 21, 22 years old at this point. And didn't really know what was going on by the time it got diagnosed as a stress fracture. It was pretty, it was several fractures at that point. Um, didn't really have a doctor that had dealt with that. Um, so I just kind of tried to cross train through it for six weeks and figured it'd be fine. That just made it worse. Um, in the end, it was a full year, and it probably took six or eight months before I realized I needed to do absolutely nothing for a while. This thing was never going to heal. Um, but there was a large portion of that year where I was pretty sure I would never run again. Um, didn't really know what I was going to do. Started looking at the rowing team, things like that. Um, trying to find some kind of outlet for myself. But I really, in my mind, that was probably going to be it. Um, of course, it got better. You know, it always does. Um, I had a great coach at the time who kind of, you know, talked some sense into me, reminded me that when she was my age, she didn't even know what running was. And she now has a few master's world records, things like that. Um, so the time passed. And honestly, I look back at it now as a very, very important experience in my life. Um, for one thing, it made me, the following year, I actually picked up and moved to Thailand for a year, moved to Asia. Um, something I had always kind of wanted to do, but something I don't think I ever would have done if I were training um, kind of in that routine and in that grind, because you don't break that routine. But because I couldn't run, I didn't know what else to do, I used that as a catalyst to go totally change up my life, basically. Moved to Asia, taught, traveled for a year, um, and that's kind of been a catalyst for everything I do now, um, which is owning a run travel company. Um, but beyond that, it also taught me that um, I can still be, like, I can still be myself and I can still be a good person without running. Um, you can take running away. It doesn't change how what people think of you. It doesn't change who you are. Um, and it will come back. But it kind of taught me that running is not the only way that I can define myself. And that was very important, especially at that age. Yeah. So during very similar to what you just said and that so during my heavier years of you know, basically food restriction, anorexia, and mental illness, like when those years got really bad, um, I had to relearn a lot of different things. Um, basically what was normal, you know, how, what's the right mindset of thinking through things, how I should be physically. 
Uh, and so this took a lot of time, took a lot of doctor visits. Um, I had a lot of issues that had to be controlled before um, I could really pursue running and, and, and be decent at it. And so those strategies that I had to learn in those settings allowed me to be able to apply that to running. So um, knowing that I have more so of like an addictive personality, it was important that I didn't just replace one thing with the other. So it, it meant that, and you know, I would go overboard and you know basically jump ship with restricting myself or you know beating myself up internally um, to the point to where you know I I'd be almost immobile. I couldn't function. Um, it was important that I didn't just take that sort of obsessiveness and you know again addictive traits and just apply it to running and call it good health. So I had to make sure that I could relearn a lot of things that, um, you know, in daily life, but also in, in relation to my running, because I, I needed to make sure that I didn't just, you know, take those and replace it with something else. And that's something that we all often tend to do when it comes to, um, when it comes to mental illnesses um, or it comes to anything that's really, like, hits you really hard in life. It's, uh, you have to just make sure that you're doing the right things and taking those steps, and that's a continuous flow of taking those steps forward. Kelly, what about you? So I mentioned my experience in 2016. Um, I didn't know it was a stress fracture, and I, I knew that I had failed, and it was really hard for me to go back. Um, I was teaching at West Point at the time, and um, I taught the last um, class of women, um, all women at West Point in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so those ladies were so all behind me, ready to cheer me on. And I was really... I. I didn't even know how to go back, you know, to that. I felt so ashamed of my performance. I didn't, at the time, it took like two weeks for me to get an MRI. So I didn't even know what was wrong with my body. I didn't have the picture to tell me definitively that I had dropped out of the race for a grade four stress fracture, not just because I felt bad. Um, and it was really hard for me to go back and face those cadets who really looked up to me, you know, and uh, it took me a while to really even share the story. I just kind of breezed by it. I was really still focused on coming back and and um, focused on recovering from my injury. And eventually I was a part of the women's mentorship group at West Point, the Corbin Forum. And we were starting to do stuff, kind of talking about the highs and lows of Instagram. It hits the kids at West Point really hard um, because you know they, they're, they're doing some really tough stuff and they see their friends out in college traveling and climbing mountains and doing cool stuff on Instagram. So, so sometimes that social media really hits them hard. And we were thinking about ways of you know sharing kind of the lows too. And I realized that I didn't share my lows with them. And so one of our meetings I shared with about, you know, 25 of the female cadets, we were all sitting there and I shared the story of the 2016 trials and how I had failed and how, you know, like what that meant to me, what that did to me. Um, and, you know, there, we all kind of cried together. Everybody else shared some of their failure stories too. I mean, there were people that I looked up to and, um, and cadets that I just thought, you know, they've never made a misstep in their lives who shared some of their um, experiences and failures too. And it was really a powerful experience. It brought us all closer together. And it also showed me, I mean, I organized it thinking I'm the teacher, I've got this, you know, but I learned probably more than the cadets did from it. So now I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm embracing 
that and learning from it and moving forward and having a blast here at 2020 and like really making sure that it's fun. And I remember why I do the sport because I truly love running and it brings me so much joy. And sometimes I can get obsessive. I can stress about the watch and what pace I'm running and, you know, all of those little things. And if I find myself now, if, if I find myself getting to that point, I literally take the Garmin off. I might even take the regular watch off and just go and remember why I love it and reconnect to why I'm doing this. Also, I think opening up and, and letting go of that story and sharing that story, what a burden released off of your shoulders, something that you felt like you were probably internalizing Absolutely. for so, so, so long at yeah. that point. Uh, I think one of the most popular questions I get, and obviously my definition of fast personally is different than Dylan's, which is different than everybody else's. Uh, but a question I get from a lot of big beginner runners who are trying to find their version of fast is how did you get so fast? So the question I have for the three of you at a appropriate time, I would say, is what do you think was the unlock for getting fast? And I'll share a quick story. I sat down with a, a man named Knox Robinson and uh, he is a run coach in New York City, and he told me, reflecting on my personal experience at the Boston Marathon, he said, when you let go of the runner that you believed that you were, when you stopped believing that Emily is a nine-minute and 8.45-minute pace runner, and you opened up to the possibility that you could be faster, you left her behind, and you went to reach for something new. And I thought that was really special. So I'd love for you guys to share, what is the thing that made you understand that you were fast? How did you get fast? I think for myself, it was just putting the time in. I, I did not start as a good runner. I was not very good in high school. I, I walked on to a college. I didn't even race in uniform until my third year. Um, I wasn't I wasn't someone who you would be, that you would consider, hey, I'd be sitting on this stage and talking to you about running right now. Um, but that wasn't something that I really was concerned about. I wasn't care, I didn't care about what other people thought. I really just wanted to be my best and continue being better. I was I was really driven by the self-transformation that came from running and the amount of work that it took. It was something that was challenging, but it, it really fed into that desire, that kind of fire I had to continue being better. And for myself, it was just putting in the time, trying to take it as slow as possible, taking the correct steps. And of course, there's a lot of, I made a lot of mistakes along the way too. I, we all go overboard at some point, find out what we are capable of, what we're not capable of, um, and continuing just to try and um, you know, break that down and figure out what it is that's going to continue moving us forward, even if there's minor setbacks. So for myself, it was really just putting in the time, staying focused on that day and just having this long term mindset of like, OK, I'm not very good right now, but if I continue to commit my time to this, my energy to this, I'm going to be good later. Um, and so that was something that I really put all my money on was that everything that I do today is going to affect me a year, two years or 10 years down the road. Allison, when you started running, did you ever think that you would say the sentence, I came in first in that race? No, definitely not. Um, again, I've run for a long time. I was always a good athlete. Um, but I, like uh, Dylan said, I think it, everything's consistency. If I were to look back over the course of my whole journey as a runner, it's just been the fact that I've been out there doing it day after day after day. Um, it's something that's as ingrained in my daily routine as brushing my teeth or something like that. It's something I've always done. Um, so I think that's 
where a lot of that came from. But no, I mean, in, I ran in college, but it was D2. I was decent in those circles. Um, but really, my breakthrough was kind of post-college. Again, I had no plans um, to race professionally or anything like that. Um, but after that injury, I moved to Asia for a year. I came back and kind of fell into this into this team in Austin. And the coach there, they were creating kind of a post-collegiate development team. And he literally came up to me and said, you're really not fast enough to be on this team, but I can't recruit any girls unless I have some girls. You might be an okay marathoner. Do you want to be on this team? And I was like, okay. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but let's try it. Um, so I just kind of started training and started ramping up mileage and just doing the work day in, day out. And it began to pay off. And, you know, a year later, I qualified for my first Olympic trials. And here I am. How many years has this been now? That was in 2012. Probably 13. 11 was when I, 11, so yeah, yeah 12, nine years okay. later. Yeah. Um, still doing it. Um, but I would say in terms of racing and kind of a few like breakthrough races I've had really came from when I made myself race rather than worry about pace. Um, I think we all get very fixated on actual paces and plans and strategies. And I have had a few opportunities where I just stopped looking at that, went into it because maybe there was someone I was competitive with or the race itself, you know, I was trying to make prize money, whatever it was. I just let go of those paces and just ran the race and all of my movements were dictated by whoever the people were that I was racing. And in those situations, I ran much, much faster than I ever would have imagined or would have done if I were just fixated on pace. So um, I think a lot of that, yeah, is just letting go of the watch and the numbers and you can really do a lot more than you think you can do. So for me, I think about a few times where um, first in high school, I switched high schools from, I moved from Texas to Virginia. Um, halfway through high school. And when I got to Virginia, my new coach, he believed in me and he gave me a plan to get better. And that was huge. I mean, I got a lot better. I then ran at NC State, you know, arrived with like, I'm, I'm awesome. I was number one on my team, quickly got humbled and um, had to learn to really work. And then I remember the race where I believed in myself. I was running you know, the mile at the Duke Invitational. And there were some of the girls on the team that were, they were kick-ass. They were awesome, super fast ladies. And they intimidated me. They were upperclassmen. And during that race, I had the opportunity to pass them. And I did. And I ended up beating them. And it was, it was huge for me to believe in myself that I, you know, I could have held back and I could have said, well, they're faster than me. They have faster PRs than me. I don't deserve to be up there. But instead I believed in myself and I pushed past what I, you know, them and what I thought, you know, is really just a mental barrier that I had. I put them in on this pedestal. And, um, you know, that was my, my PR race in, um, in college. And it was just fantastic. And then, um, moving forward into the marathon, I got the opportunity to join the world-class athlete program for the army in 2010. And, when I got there, I started having some really good workouts and uh, we had another girl on our team and um, she had way faster PRs than me again. And my coach was like, hey, you're running pretty good workouts. You might be able to beat Emily. And I was like, really? And we went out there and did a race and, you know, the same thing. I had to reach into that same place because I put her on this pedestal. I'd seen her for years and um, and just believing in yourself, not letting those, you know, mental hangups get you and like putting other people in a place where, you know, you're going to hold yourself back. It's so special what happens when you become your own hype man, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so the way that I wind down the podcast on the show, I ask my guests to reflect on some of the tough times that we talked about and what they would do right now if they had the opportunity 
to offer themselves one piece of advice. So right now, what I want you to do is I want you to visualize this race. I want you to visualize Saturday and you're running and you hit one of those tough moments, one of those moments that you have to really dig deep. You have an opportunity right now to offer yourself one piece of advice to push through and get everything that you've been working for. What is it that you tell yourself? Personally, I would just remind myself to have fun. This is such a special experience to be here, to be part of it. Um, everybody on that start line has worked so hard and is so excited to be there. And any discomfort, any of those periods in the race, it's fleeting, it's going to pass. Um, and just the honor of being here is so great. So really just remember to have fun and really soak in the experience, all of it, whether it's good point or a bad point in the race. Yeah, you can't avoid pain. You know, the marathon is a hard event. It's, you're gonna be out there for two hours plus. And it, it's gonna take everything that you have to be able to have the most successful day that you want to have. So if you expect that it's gonna be easy and it's gonna be a breeze and you're gonna do well and you're gonna make a team, um, it's, it's unrealistic. You know, to really be able to achieve something that is bigger than yourself or you know, something that is up to your standards, it's gonna take a lot of vulnerability and it's gonna take a lot of stress and strain and you have to be ready for that. Um, I'm a big believer that you have to be able to make the decisions before they happen. So you can visualize the race, you can visualize how it's going to go, but it's good to do that mental prep to be able to, you know, know that, hey, the pain's going to come, but I expected it to come. Instead of my mind, you know, going into, it's going into fight or flight mode, you know, I want to be able to fight rather than fly away. So, um, you know, if I had to tell myself something, it's just to, you know, to stay strong, but to expect the pain and for lack of a better term, you know, pain is temporary, but we have to expect it. I would tell myself and will tell myself to be grateful. I'm really grateful to be out here, grateful to be healthy after such a long journey of, you know, coming back from injuries and dealing with other stuff. I am so stoked to be out there with this incredible field of the best women in the nation, you know, running alongside the best men in the nation out there as well. Just really be grateful for this incredible experience. Well, I know we will all be out there cheering you guys on on Saturday. If you want to follow Hurdle at Hurdle Podcast, also at Emily Abadi on Instagram. I'm so excited to watch all of you. Another Hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.